Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Weekside Podcast alongside Jenny Frentis. I am Connor Orr. Um, I have returned to the Northeast portion of the United States. Happy to be here and discussing the draft, which is 23 days away, by the way, um, as of this recording on Tuesday morning. So a lot to get to. But um, the bulk of the show today is going to be devoted to, uh, you know, just kind of one of these uh, another landscape altering trade where uh, the Jets sending Sam Darnold to Carolina. Um, Darnold, presumably the quarterback of the near future there, all but solidifying the Jets are going to draft a quarterback at number two. So we're going to get into a lot of that there. But um, Jenny, what did you think? Kind of your first um, knee-jerk reaction when you saw that Darnold was on the move. Well, the Panthers had a very strong meme game to commemorate the occasion, which was very yes. impressive, uh, using the out indefinitely mononucleosis, uh, a little twist on that. They had the Hey Darnold. Um, so I thought very creative um, way to announce his his arrival in Carolina. But yeah, I think while we expected he may be on the outs from New York, I think where he ended up ultimately indicates a lot of things. I think there's a lot to parse through, which we'll do in the show. And, you know, it was one trade, but, and perhaps a quarterback that you might not think is elite, but I think it says a lot about where teams are going and how these different openings at quarterback positions are settling in on multiple teams. That's what we're here to do at the Weak Side Podcast. It's the ripples in the water, you know. I mean, right. everybody's focused on the rock, Jenny, but we're focused on the ripples, you know. That's that's what that's our niche, you know. Great way to phrase it, Connor. I like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into uh, topic number one, and I can read that there. Uh, it appears the game of musical chairs has officially ended, or it's at least playing one of those songs uh, at the dance that no one wants to dance to. For sixth grade me, that was no scrubs. Uh, I did not like to dance to that song. Um, what do you make of the quarterback landscape as a whole now that Darnold is in teal and silver? Uh, I guess I should ask you first, were you a fan of No Scrubs? Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to speak to this. I, this is slander. <laughs> TLC is like legendary. TLC was like a soundtrack of that period of time. It was. Uh, so I'm actually stunned. Um, I'm re questioning our friendship uh, <laughs> upon learning this revelation Connor's just one of those things you learn about someone and then you start to question a lot of other things but I guess we can work through that uh, outside of the show um, as well you know what it is it was I I, I am happy uh, because it, it did break through the noise of sort of that that largely misogynistic time of music where like everything was very focused on like people's looks. And this was like turning the, turning the camera in the other direction. Um, but at my school, like we had the dance and, you know, a lot of the girls would just point at us and yell the words. And like, <laughs> and I was like, I'm not, you know, a scrub. <laughs> I, I'm not a scrub because like, I'm not, not taking care of a family, right? Like, you know, a lot of the lyrics were very charged in terms of like a, a man sitting at home and not providing for his family or not helping in any way, shape or form. And I was like, I'm in sixth grade. And a lot of this is not my responsibility <laughs> right now. Um, but it was very, I, I, I guess I appreciate what the song did. Um, but I think I was, it was just a little out of time for me. You know, I, I okay. think that, you know, uh, if, if you wanted to criticize me for, um, you know, 
not cleaning up after uh, lunch or, you know, being out late for recess, you know, all those things guilty as charged. Sure, I, I'll take that. But, um, you know, the rest of the lyrics, I thought, were just a little, you know, I, 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 you know, I felt like I was getting blamed for something that I wasn't necessarily doing. Have I been a scrub at some point in my life? Probably. Um, but, uh, you know, not at that point. Well, it was, it was a powerful message, but perhaps not for a sixth grader. So I, I see your point, Connor. Um, but I think this is interesting because now, okay, we, we figured the Jets were going to take a quarterback at number two. It seems as though Zach Wilson is all but written in in pen on their draft card. Um, but the Panthers were in this quarterback market. We were interested to see, you know, they were in on Stafford. They were considering Watson. They ultimately go this direction. Um, and so I think because of that, we're sort of, it has implications on the Jets. It has implications on the Panthers. It has implications on the Texans, uh, potentially implications on maybe the 49ers or the Broncos if Bridgewater would then be moved. So I think the ripple effects are pretty uh, immense with this one move. Yeah, uh, I was most interested um, in kind of hearing the chatter that the 49ers were at least tangentially involved in the conversations for Darnold um, and and that the Broncos didn't seem to be, you know, which was kind of interesting to me. And like all these shifting consensus that seem to be happening now, like, you know, two weeks ago, would you have thought for certain that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't going anywhere? And now it seems like they really are determined to keep him. That didn't, that doesn't seem like lip service, at, at least for now. And so you're looking around and thinking, okay, I thought maybe the Panthers still needed a quarterback. Uh, the Broncos definitely still need a quarterback. Um, and uh, the Texans almost certainly still need a quarterback. Um, and it's just such a, a strange situation now. And you wonder how uh, some of these teams... And I understand that things were weird and the balls bounced a certain way. Um, I don't think you can necessarily blame like the Panthers, for example, for not getting Matt Stafford. That seemed to be based on a relationship that was ingrained over time and was almost done before any of the conversations even started. Um, but some of these other ones, some of these teams are looking like oddly like they're sitting on their hands a little bit, you know, and how you could be kind of that unprepared in certain situations like you know Vic Fangio you're going into your third year now um, without a winning season that has to be concerning to you Um, do you really want Drew Locke uh, to be your quarterback Um, the Bears and their situation that they're going into uh, Bill Belichick knows what he's got out of Cam Newton is that really what you want Um, you know coming out of the draft this year coming into the draft this year is to only have Cam Newton as your top option I, I guess I'm just surprised that the people who have yet to make a move Yeah, and I think that's a great point because now that we're 23 days from the draft, as you have laid out, the options are narrowing. And as quarterbacks who were expected to be on the move land at new places, then you have fewer and fewer options. So now you're getting down to a handful of of guys that could still be traded or you have to be able to make a move in the draft. And, you know, we see that the top three slots are clearly going to be quarterbacks. So you already eliminate three quarterbacks from the mix there. And so do you like somebody beyond those three guys? So, yeah, things are, are winnowing down a little bit. You know who might emerge as the big winner here is Atlanta. If you think about it, right, the team sitting at number four, you know that the Jets are out at number two. Uh, you the only way to pierce that 
that kind of top four now is to, is to go through Atlanta and to try to get the last of that, whether it's Mac Jones or Trey Lance or whoever it is. Um, and it's interesting that they might be able to fetch something reminiscent of what the Jets might have gotten for number two or what the 49ers had to spend for number three, depending on how desperate one of these teams get. And if I'm Terry Fontenot, I think that's a really interesting proposition, right? Because you know Matt Ryan's going to be around for at least another year, maybe two years. And in that time, everything's going to shift and change anyway, and you can go get the quarterback of the future after that. That might be a nice little draft haul, you know, if you decide to get out of there. Um, And you're in a really surprising position of power, I think. Yeah, I do think that's an interesting spot. Gary and I were talking about this on the Monday morning podcast. And if you don't want to go quarterback there, which after the restructure of Matt Ryan's contract, it seems like they may not go quarterback there. And so there are a lot of directions for them to go at four, but you could still get a really quality impact player who could meet a need on your roster a few picks lower. And so if somebody is desperate and they want to get that fourth quarterback that's left on the board, uh, I agree, Connor, that would be an opportunity. And again, you know, let's say they're they're saying we're, we're sticking with Matt Ryan for the next two years. Also, you have a new regime. You get some extra picks to supplement what's an aging roster. Uh, it's It's a pretty good situation. And Arthur Smith, to me, doesn't seem like the kind of coach that you would have brought in for the long-haul rebuild, right? He's a guy who um, is steeped in an offense that's very popular and was very successful, especially for Matt Ryan. It's like, you know, why don't just punch the accelerator on this and try to, you know, the, the division seems a little up in the air at this point with the Saints um, not knowing what they're doing necessarily. So I don't know. I think it'd be a nice time to kind of hit the accelerator and try to try to move on and, and, and actually make the playoffs here. Yeah, I like that suggestion because we were really struggling with what to do with four in our little Monday morning mock yesterday. (laughs) And I think Gary wanted to go quarterback. And I was like, nah, the Ryan restructure. (laughs) So we ended up going with Penny Sewell. But, you know, you could still get another quality player a few picks lower. And so I think that could be a potential uh, spot where someone comes up to. Jenny, the GM saying a Penny for your thoughts there. Um, That's good. What what was the... Was there like an automatic shut it down song for you? Like you're like, I'm I'm out on this during the school dance. Oh, time? man, I, I, I'd have to go back and think it was definitely not TLC, though, Connor. So, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I have to I just remember the hits, you know, 98 degrees, Backstreet Boys. You know, I, I was Backstreet Boys over in sync. I know this is somewhat uh, controversial. I mean, I also enjoyed in sync, but Backstreet Boys was my favorite. So, yeah, I would. I actually would agree with you because Backstreet's Back was the most powerful of all of the boy band songs. Like it had the best beat, it had the kind of the most aggressive sort of tone to it. Um, I thought that was the one that you could really get into above all else. So I thought to me that lifted them above NSYNC. NSYNC to me was a little. Um, I don't know. I, NSYNC just didn't work for me necessarily on the same level that Backstreet Boys did. So I'm actually with you on that. I All think right. that's a well, good take. I'm reconsidering our friendship yet again. So it <laughs> seems like we're back to where we started at the beginning of this podcast episode, which is good news for all, Connor. Fantastic. All right. What all do right. we have for number two? The Carolina Panthers were hyper aggressive on the quarterback front, reportedly in the mix for both Deshaun Watson and Matthew Stafford for a time. Does Darnold represent a marked upgrade at the position, or should they have doubled down and invested in Teddy Bridgewater, who already knows the system? I have 
my thoughts on this, you know, I, you know, if I'm Carolina, I look at Teddy Bridgewater and I'm thinking, you know, he played, I, I like total QBR with for, that ESPN does. I think that does a nice job at kind of bundling all the quarterbacks' responsibilities in a stat. Teddy Bridgewater played about as well as Matt Ryan, Kyler Murray last year. You know, he had a good season. Sam Darnold was dead last with a bad roster, notably, and, and a coach and everything that didn't seem to be working out. But, you know, I, I just think like, you know, he already knows the system. He's steeped in those Sean Payton roots, which is where Joe Brady gets a lot of his stuff from. It, to me, it's like, wh- why not just take this one more year and, and see what you're going to get? Admit that you sat out um, or that you missed out on this and then go get your quarterback next year when the market maybe shifts a little bit. But to me, it was surprising that, you know, everybody all of a sudden right after this trade says, oh, that makes so much more sense. He's so much better than uh, Teddy Bridgewater. We don't know that. At least I don't think we know that. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think the Panthers evidently thought they weren't getting everything they needed from Bridgewater. And I think there were there was a stat I remember seeing late in the year that he wasn't successful in two-minute situations to win the game or fourth quarter come from behind situations. So clearly they felt like they had enough of a sample size that they wanted to try something different. But I do think there is a question, is Darnold necessarily an upgrade? And it's somewhat hard to evaluate Darnold in a sense because he had this rotating cast of coaches. He had injuries, illnesses. So he had this promising debut and everything was all jumbled from there. So do the Panthers think that this player who was viewed as the safest quarterback in his draft prospect, uh, draft class, not necessarily the highest ceiling, but the highest floor was how evaluators at the time saw Darnold. So the Panthers must think, get him out of the jet situation, put him in our offense, and we think we can do better with him. That seems to be what they're saying with the trade. But I also think there's two interesting things that come out of this, too. One is that it does. It appears that they are out on – well, by making this move, they are out on Watson. And I think it shows that the allegations that have come up from more than 20 massage therapists alleging – different forms of sexual misconduct and assault, harassment, et cetera, during uh, massage appointments has clearly had an impact because the, the Panthers were trying to get Stafford. And then I think they were really interested in Watson and they must have felt that they had enough information to not go that route with Watson. And so that also, I think that's a prudent decision. There is a lot of information out there to go on. And I think now you wonder, will any other team be willing to try to trade for Watson? And I think it's looking like no. So that is an interesting piece. And the other interesting piece is now what happens with Bridgewater. Does he stay in Carolina? Do they try to move him? I know there's some economic considerations there. Uh, He has a $17 million base for this year. And I think the final $7 million becomes fully guaranteed week one. And the $10 million was guaranteed at signing. So does Bridgewater agree to a restructure so that he can go somewhere else with the chance of starting? And, and maybe that move could be made now. Would a team, like you said, Connor, there's a lot of teams that ha- we haven't really seen much from. Would one of those teams make a move for Bridgewater? Um, so I think this one, again, this one Darnold move has a lot of implications. 
That's a really good point on Watson too. Um, that one that I I didn't I hadn't really thought about. You know, because obviously at this point, you know, you you're going to have to pivot at some point, and it looks like that was really one of the final uh, heavy pivots away from from the Watson sweepstakes. Um, what interests me in Carolina though is I kind of view it as they're just prolonging this bridge scenario, and I think there are a lot of um, pitfalls in the Darnold deal. Like so. What if Darnold plays good enough next year, and and then you have to sign him long term or let him go? And then what? You know, we just don't know what he is. And you know, even after one year, do you think you're going to get that evaluation that you wanted? Because there are some some really steep peaks and valleys in his play. I don't know. Um, or maybe he's not good. You know, and you've already picked up the fifth year option. Um, and you're committed there, um, which I think would be an interesting thing. But, I, you know, mm-hmm. the other part of me says that, by the way, uh, picking up the fifth-year option first reported by a uh, good friend and former colleague, Jonathan Jones. So nice uh, nice job by Jonathan Jones there. Um, but I, I, for me, I, I don't know. On one hand, I'm, I think this is a good move because – I think we both understood at different levels how dysfunctional that Jets offense was even before Adam Gase got there. I remember hearing stories about how, you know, Josh McCown would have to go between the the coaches and Sam Darnold and say like, "Hey guys, like Sam's not getting this because you're calling the same call three different things like you know rocket means three things and you guys don't realize that like there was some really fundamentally broken things there that the coaches weren't able to fix you know the offensive coaches weren't able to fix for sam darnold and so i i think it's worth maybe worth the gamble but i don't know a second round pick and a fourth is a lot um you know and and you're essentially preventing yourself from uh maybe getting in back into the mix for a quarterback. I don't know. I, I, I just thought, you know, it, it, sitting on your, sitting on your hands with Bridgewater might not be the worst thing there. I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm not sold on this, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think the point you make about prolonging the bridge is a really good one, Connor, because that was the thought, you know, the Panthers had a new regime. They went into last season with low expectations. They get Bridgewater, see how it works out. And then they figure out their long-term solution after that point. And so they strike out on Stafford. They were interested in Watson, but appear to have moved off of him. And so now it, it does look like they're kind of settling for Darnold, who is probably another guy that you'd see as a bridge guy. I think that's a really great point, Con. You're, you're not necessarily finding your long-term answer. Now, maybe things work out and he blossoms in Carolina in a way that he couldn't with the Jets. But it is still a little bit of a gamble. It's it's very akin to last year's Bridgewater move. I got really excited for a second um, when we kept saying the word bridge uh, that I thought that bridges were something that was evoked in TLC's classic waterfalls, but it was rivers. They say rivers. It was don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. I thought it was bridges and lakes for a second. And I was so like, you're just Man, really trying to run the theme. The opportunity the to tie a bow through this entire show on the fly with TLC <laughs> would have been maybe one of the defining moments of my uh, broadcasting career. Uh, well, but you're, alas, yeah. you know. you're, you're trying to redeem yourself for saying that you didn't enjoy the no scrubs. <laughs> you're trying to show your knowledge of other TLC songs, Connor. I appreciate the effort. <laughs> I like it. That's all it's really about is me covering, uh, <laughs> me covering for myself.
Topic number three here. Um, stop us if you've heard this before, but the Jets are in need of a quarterback. Um, but this time the search feels far more direct, less wayward. We know who they're going to get, or at least we think we know who they're going to get. Um, however, this doesn't change the fact that Joe Douglas is putting his job on the line a little bit here. Would you have rathered a number two pick or Darnold and a historic haul of picks, Jenny? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the way that I feel about Darnold is twofold. One, I think he was failed by the Jets organization through his career and thus could not develop. However, I do think we have seen enough from him to indicate that he is not like an elite top of tier quarterback. And so in Joe Douglas's mind, he has the reins of the team. Let's go get a guy he feels is that person. Now you have to make sure you don't make the same mistakes that were made with Darnold, right? Like you need to have receivers around him. I, they got Corey Davis. That was one signing they made this offseason. But you need an offensive line. You need receivers. You need a consistent offense. I think their offensive coordinator hire, uh, Mike LaFleur with Robert Sala. I think that is a great system for a rookie quarterback to be in. So I think there are signs of optimism that potentially the quarterback they draft, presumably Zach Wilson, will be in a better situation. But even though Joe Douglas wasn't here for all of the mistakes of Sam Darnold's career, uh, the mistakes the organization made, you have to hope that he learns from those and puts the new quarterback they draft in a better position. Because if you're going to turn away what could be, as you laid out, a, a big haul of picks to stand pat, go for the quarterback that you believe in, then you've got to also, the second part of that is making sure it works. Yeah, I initially I had thought it was a slam dunk, um, but... I'm the kind of person who watches Zach Wilson's pro day and then goes, ooh, you know, like I'm not uh, one of these like hardened evaluators that knows uh, what these things are supposed to be. And I did think it was interesting. Um, our good friend um, and former Jets beat colleague Rich Samini had kind of pushed back on, on his column a little bit on the trade and um, included some notes. from. He said that there was some disagreement inside the building in terms of what they should have done with the pick. Um, he included some perspective, I think, not by accident, from Mel Kuyper uh, just about how bad the BYU schedule was and how uh, easy it was for Zach Wilson to kind of beat up on some inferior opponents um, and, and kind of run the score up on a lot of these guys and so I think that's an interesting component to it too I mean I I don't know if um I you know if I'm Robert Sala and I know how well that offense works and I know how well Mike LaFleur can run it um I'm probably sitting there asking him like are you sure you can't make this work with Sam you know are you a hundred percent positive that he cannot do all the things that Zach Wilson can do Um, and, and that's where it kind of got interesting for me because I was thinking if they determined really that Sam couldn't run the most quarterback friendly offense in the league, the offense that now like half the teams in the NFL are running because it makes their job, um, easier and more streamlined. Um, if they decided that Sam Darnold wasn't good enough to do that, that's a damning indication. I think if I'm Carolina that I'm a little bit worried about too, is in terms of why they're willing to let him go. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I really don't, uh, I don't know necessarily what to think, but I think that, um, it's interesting that there was that back and forth in inside the building, like, and, and it seemed like that persisted up until the moment that the trade went down. It does seem like there is also some interest from the Jets in sort of restarting the clock with a rookie quarterback. And I saw Brian Costello, another former colleague of ours on the Jets beat, laid out the 
number of Jets draft picks in 2021 and 2022 after all of the trades the last year and 21 total picks in the 2021 and 2022 draft. So it's a pretty compelling list. And so I, it does appear like they're saying, okay, we've got a new head coach. We're, we're starting fresh after last season and rookie quarterback got a ton of draft picks to, to rebuild this a certain way. And yeah, restarting that clock seems to be something that they were interested in. If I were a GM um, and I'd be interested solely in my own benefits and job security, I would be constantly restarting that clock, right? You know, and then you could just be like, you go into the owner's office and say, well, we need two years, you know, just to see how this works. And then it doesn't work. And then you immediately just draft somebody else and say, well, we need two years. And before you know it, I will have been the GM of the Jets for 35 years. <laughs> Connor, that very would hard be a feat. That would be yeah. a, a feat. We would all be very proud of you and your, ten <laughs> your tenacity. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Uh, what do we have for... Uh, wait. So, wait. Did you give me an answer? Do you want Darnold or the picks? I want the picks. I want to start fresh with the... Uh, I want to start fresh with the rookie quarterback, and I want... So no, you want the I'm pick. sorry. Yeah, I want yeah, yeah. the pick. I, I, I worded the I, question wrong. I worded the no. question wrong. I, I yeah, did. I want yeah. the pick. Yes. You want yes. the pick. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think I want picks. I want picks, plural. Maybe. You want Darnold and you want them to trade away the number two pick for a bunch of other picks. I want Darnold and then I want like an offensive, like I, I feel like I feel like this could be, you know, and maybe we're just comping it to the Jets because we saw how transformative that draft was where they got Nick Mangold and DeBrickishaw Ferguson and how, how well that set them up for the future. It's right. like, you know, I, I need that draft, you know, right. and, and, may, and maybe the talent isn't necessarily there to pull that off in this draft. But if you get mm -hmm. a couple first round picks like over time, you know, you could build something really formidable there for, for right now. It seems like it's still Makai Becton and, and some guys, you know, and you right. need a, and you need more than some guys. But right. Uh, but I don't know. The but they do, have a, they do have a, a decent lineup of picks regardless, yes. right? From mm -hmm. uh, Jamal Adams trade and other trades they've made, Avery Williamson. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm all right with it. But it seems, like, it seems like we have different views, Connor, which is good. Disagreement makes a good, good podcast. This is, I think our, our listeners are going to be a little concerned about like, you know, maybe we'll be getting some notes like, is there secretly some sort of um, uh, tension uh, flowing beneath the surface here? Connor starts off the show banging TLC, which is like an obvious shot across the bow. Jenny right. comes back and says, you know, wait, I don't need your picks, you know, and <laughs> it's just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I can assure you at least uh, I think everything is harmonious in, in the, you know, I don't want any. <laughs> There's any, no strife. Yeah, I don't want any message board stuff popping up about that. That you know, this is this show is all about positivity. That hasn't changed. Um, you know what but, though, Connor? Whenever a team comes out and says there's no strife, then oh it no, is. I know we're really just falling into the trap. So we better <laughs> just move on to topic number four. Safest good move. Good point. Good point. Um, okay, so uh, I, th you know, I'll just paraphrase it because I, I don't have the topics up in front of me, but I, I do think that there's going to be. Uh, and granted, th this is from Oracle to Oracle. Jenny has entrenched herself um, in the uh, Oracle sphere, which I'm very proud of and very happy of. So Oracle to Oracle at this point, you know, maybe the NFL is done making moves. Maybe they're done shocking the world, but maybe there is still one more kind of crazy or surprising thing left that's going to happen. Um, if, if I had to ask you to make a bold prediction before the draft, um, what would that be? I wonder if this f is far enough in the bold camp 
So maybe it's not. Maybe it's just kind of tepid. But um, I don't think the Lions will draft a quarterback. Interesting. I think they will go for a receiver. I think they're interested in seeing what they have with Jared Goff and potentially Tim Boyle as, as a backup to, to Jared Goff. And I think... Uh, I think they'll go for an offensive skill position player. They have a, a lot of holes to fill in the roster, and you know, they, they they maybe they wouldn't have picked Jared Goff as their quarterback, but they got him in the exchange for Matthew Stafford. And let's give it a go and see what happens. That's a really interesting one. I like that one a lot, and I think that yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, maybe not bold, but no, I think that's very bold. Okay. There's an entire major metropolitan city there that's going to consider this bold. I think that's very <laughs> that's good. You know, that's great. Um, I will center mine around the Browns. Um, I think that there's something that's going to happen there, and it could range from relatively unbold uh, signing Jadeveon Clowney to pair with Miles Garrett to like bold, bold, which would be like trading Odell Beckham, you know, or or doing something uh, on on that end. I mean, I, I'm just surprised that we all he he made a cryptic tweet, and then we all just let that pass through our. Psyche, you know, no one tried to decode that one. J.J. Watt was talking about mitochondria and everybody lost their minds. And I think that, uh, you know, Odo Beckham on to the next or second chapter or something like that. That's that's a, that's a little cryptic, you know, like maybe Very they're sick. Yeah. You know, I don't know. And, and I think the Browns, too, have a really good understanding of, you know, of the positional value. Maybe you hold on to Odell Beckham until one of these teams misses out on the receiver class that they're interested in, right? This seems to be the generational receiver class that everybody's talking about. Maybe you hang on to Beckham until one person, one team doesn't get the guy that they want. And then you dump them, um, you know, for a first round pick next year. I don't know how that works, you know, but I, you know, I, I just think they're not done yet. They have mm-hmm. like one or two things left to check off. I think they're a team that has the profile of one that should be going for it. Um, this year um, that I think that they're good enough to run the table and, and make it deep into the playoffs. And, and I just think there's going to be one more like big move there that's going to happen. Um, and, you know, and, and maybe it's trading for a pass rusher too. Maybe, um, you know, it's, it's dealing for somebody like that before the draft too. But I don't know. I just think the Browns stand out as one of those teams that are like, eh, I don't think you're done yet. I like that, Connor. It hasn't been a spicy off season for them. So you're still waiting for the spice to come. I know. There's just like, there's got to be something there. You know, there's got to be something there. I don't know. Or, or maybe we're just used to, the, you know, we're conditioned to think that there's going to be something there with the Browns, right? Maybe this yeah. is a new era. You know, at every turn, they're going to surprise us with um, my favorite word, pragmatism, you know, which is just, you know, it is what it is. But you don't, you know, you know. But we're all waiting for that draft day jaw dropper like Jordan Love was last year, for instance. Yes. See, that's... Yeah. I like that. When we'll be be sending each other the chili pepper emoji during the draft is is the moment that you're trying to predict out here. I was... I have to say that that time last year, uh, texting during the draft was like one of the first like kind of jolty moments like during a, a like a bad stretch of time you know where you're just like all right this is fun you know so I'm, i am looking forward to the draft because it's like and i think it'll be a little bit more back to normal this year um it, you know it'll it'll be a lot less 
uh, sort of like virtually and, and, and doom and gloomy, even though like uh, I think a lot of the top prospects are still not going to go um, mm-hmm. to Cleveland. But I think it'll be like closer to back to normal, which is good. And so if I had to predict a sub um, a sub bold prediction, it's that uh, Roger Goodell doesn't need to go get M&Ms or, <laughs> or talk about eating M&Ms, uh, that he will have plenty of M&Ms and, uh, you know, we won't have to worry about it as much. I still maintain that that was a strange storyline, Connor. I mean, that was still a pretty scary time. And someone was, he was sending someone running out to the store to get him M&Ms. I don't know if we talk enough about how reckless that seemed in the moment. <laughs> it seemed very reckless. For, for, those, for those of you, um, especially our overseas friends, who might have not gotten the draft uh, uh, live uh, broadcasted over there. Um, so the M&M sponsored the NFL draft. And Roger Goodell did the draft from his uh, wood-paneled New York suburb basement. And um, there was initially not M&M's featured prominently in the basement and then some poor intern had to at the height of the that first wave of the pandemic probably go to cvs somewhere and buy m&ms to put in the little glass jar that roger goodell pretended to eat um throughout the duration of the thing i don't think he ate all those m&ms um i'm i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say i don't think he did that um but yeah all for essentially like a a prop you know which is uh, it's, it's crazy you know well, we've already gotten one prediction from Connor this week, but now you're up for another one because we still have the Oracle segment. Okay, I've got a, uh, I've got twofold uh, predictions, like draft-related, uh, uh, pred- like nuggety predictions. Let's make that three, three wow. draft nuggety-related, p- uh, and and this is straight out of the Oracle school. Um, where I'm protecting myself against a lot of things and uh, really increasing the chance that I think it's going to be right uh, based on, you know, not a lot of information. So it's it's perfect. It's, it's right up my alley. But um, I think one is that we seem to have thought for a long time that there was a consensus atop the offensive line uh, board. I think that will change. I think that we might get a surprise in terms of a team liking an offensive tackle, maybe over another offensive tackle. Um, and so I think that there's maybe going to be a little bit of jostling at the top of the ranks there, um, you know, without naming any specific names there. But here's some specific names quarterbacks, I think. Um, Kellen Mond from Texas A&M is a player that um, I'll have a story out about uh, a little bit later this week. Um, really interesting uh, guy who ran his own pro day. Um, wrote the entire script for all of his throws by himself. Um, uh, really, uh, outside of Tebow and Dak Prescott, the most productive uh, quarterback in SEC history, uh, he, I think, is going to go in the top 50 and is going to leapfrog uh, some of the quarterbacks that were l- looking at in that top five. Like, I'm thinking maybe, maybe even like a Justin Fields from Ohio State. Like, I think he might come in ahead of a guy like that. Um, and the other sort of tangential thing on that wave is, I think, maybe not necessarily as high as the top 50, but certainly higher than we might think, is Ian Book from Notre Dame. is another guy that I think more people are talking about than in, in there than out here. 
and I think that, that that's another name where um, maybe on draft day you might see him go a little bit earlier than you expect and say, huh, like I didn't think he was one of the guys, but I think he's one of the guys. And I think the guys who we think are the guys are not necessarily the guys. So, All right, Connor. Those are some very specific names. So this is going to be interesting to grade this week's Oracle as we move forward because you have three different things. So do you, if you get one of the three rights, do you get full credit for the Oracle? We're going to have to discuss this. Shelby and oh, I are going per- to have to. It's perfect. It's perfect for me because <laughs> I'm telling you, Ian Book is going to go higher than you think. What do you think? You know, like. There, well, there's that's just great. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's you're, like. You're that learning is psychic the game a little 101. bit. Yeah, that is psychic 101. Uh, psychic hotline 101. Um, but that's some great insight, Connor. That's some yeah, great insight. Kellen Mond going in the top 50, though, I think is. I, I'm, I can put a flag down on that and say, I believe this. Um, and I think that maybe some of you out there won't believe that, but will eventually uh, come to see that that's true. So, all right, I like it, Connor. Good stuff. Um, my Brenda's consensus this week is just what everybody's talking about. Mitch Goldich wrote a column on MMQB this morning, but I thought Aaron Rodgers was fantastic as a Jeopardy host. And I have to say, I have not watched Jeopardy since my sister was on the show, and she didn't have a great experience. She didn't win the episode. And, you know, listen, I think a lot of Jeopardy is what the categories are that day. Do you have the buzzing timing, buzzer timing down? All of those things. So in solidarity with my sister, I haven't watched since she was on the show. But um, I was like, all right, let me tune in. And I thought it was really good. I mean, he, he had a good deadpan line when there was a, the category was but. And the answer was, or the clue was some kind of, trombone and the answer was sack butt and he said you know i've never heard of it either which i thought was really good (laughs) and um he handled adeptly a somewhat of a challenge in final jeopardy the returning champion i mean i'm probably spoiling it but at this point most people have either watched or are not going to watch the returning champion had no chance of winning in final jeopardy and so he took a little bit of a shot and referenced uh whose decision was it to kick the field goal in the nfc championship game and Rogers handled it really well. It was like, that's a, that's a good question. And I would hope that uh, that would normally be the right answer, but not in these circumstances. It was Mr. Rogers, the childhood TV, Mr. Rogers, not Aaron Rogers. In any event, um, all in all, an enjoyable watch. And I saw that he told the Ringer podcast that he could potentially do both, that Jeopardy only films 46 days a year. And his football job is 170 some days a year. So he thinks he could do both, which is kind of a cool thing. Would be, uh, listen, the, these off-season protocols are supposed to allow for players to do other things. Go back to school, do internships, pursue careers they might have after football. So maybe this is Aaron Rodgers' off-season thing. I would be happy for him uh, as a nightly Jeopardy watcher. Um, I... I'm I'm a believer that like everyone in life kind of has not their thing, um, you know, but like I feel like it'd be taking away a thing like he's already got a big thing. He's got a big thing. And then like Ken Jennings, like that's his thing, you know, so you give it. See, so if I had to compile my list of this is going to get way deeper in the weeds than anybody bargained for. Um, eh, but like TLC Jeopardy uh, does strike a nerve. Um, uh, I. I if I were to compile my Jeopardy guest host power rankings, I would put Ken at the top, firmly at the top. Um, I would put uh, Katie Couric at number two. I thought she was very good. Um, 
And then I guess Aaron Rodgers would be like in, in, in the three area for me, um, you know, certainly better than Dr. Oz, um, you know, Dr. Oz, that that whole thing was horrifying. I don't know whose idea that was, um, but I'm willing to let the rest of this process play out. I think there are some other uh, people that I would like to see in the fold there, but ultimately my hope is that Ken Jennings is able to kind of reclaim that. He seems like the steward of, of Jeopardy uh, and kind of gets all the little winks and nods. Um, but it, you know, if it's Aaron Rodgers, I, I'm not going to stop watching, you know, I'll, I'll still watch. But, you know, it just, it just won't feel the same for me. I don't know. Okay, fair enough. You're a tough grader, Connor. At the very least, we can all say that we now know what a sack butt is and that we can incorporate that. What is a sack butt? It's apparently like a some kind of old version of a trombone or something. It came up in the <laughs> musical interest, musical instruments category, I believe. Hmm. No, it came up in the butt category. What am I saying? It was like words that include butt. You know, uh unfortunately mark sanchez wasn't a guest host because <laughs> you know the sack butt would be uh you know wow that would, be, that would have been the perfect yeah well, wow wah, Connor. Wah. where's the trombone sound wah, all right wah, wah. now that perfect was the perfect to note to end the show on <laughs> we will not be able to top that the weak side podcast is me jenny Vrentis, and connor Orr. we are produced by shelby royston si's executive producer of podcasts is scott brody mark maravik is the emeritus executive director of the mmqb Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.